Good morning. How are you all? Welcome. Welcome, everyone. Welcome to the visitors. It is wonderful to have you. It is also wonderful to have the people that normally come, but we'll say it's a little bit more wonderful to have the visitors. But um, no, it's just wonderful to have you all here. And I trust you're all doing well. Christmas is coming, so Merry Christmas, which is awesome. And uh, I just have a few announcements. My dad's going to preach today, so I don't want to be long. I always look forward to when he preaches. Um, firstly, I want to speak about a Christmas break. And we do this every year. It's, it's actually nothing new. I don't know if we'll continue to do it year after year. It just actually comes from a conviction that started in my heart and began to share it with some of the leaders. And, you know, what do you do in a culture when what is the purpose of actually bringing the reminder and the truth of good news, generosity, family, and rest? I'm talking about Christmas. And what it means to be generous, the greatest gift given. What do you do in a culture where that is now data has shown to be one of the most stressful days of the year? It's interesting. You know, because what happens is we start to focus more on what we expect than on what he desires. And so with this said, a couple of years ago, we started to take a break last Sunday of the year. And uh, the last Sunday of the year, we just started to take a break to give people a break. And to give people time to actually rest and to give people time to just a little bit be at peace. And we've always encouraged people. I mean, of course, people don't belong to people, yeah? So you can visit and join any church or any service. And if that's your desire in your heart, you go ahead and do that and enjoy that worship. Um, but we've encouraged people from Free Life to take time with your families. You know, take a morning with your family on a Sunday morning. Have a breakfast. Do something the last Sunday of the year. And that's going to be, I think it's the 27th. And we're not going to be having a service. We've done this, I think, the last three years. And um, it is actually part of just our value for family. And a lot of people have family come in from all over the place. And I don't know if that will happen as much this year. But I watched the wives. Stressed, man. Uh, it's just crazy watching them run and do a million things and prepare the house and the gifts and wrap, you know, a thousand gifts and make sure that everything and auntie so-and-so is coming who's not nice. And so we need to make sure everything's wonderful. And, you know, it just becomes a lot. And I don't know if that was ever the point. I just don't know if that was ever the point. And so we've decided to just take a break uh, this year again as we grow and we are growing and um, so as we grow that, we may not continue to do that. There are wonderful opportunities for Christmas seasons, but it's also wonderful to just take a break. And so we will not be having a service on um, December 27th. It's also because we want to give the volunteers in a smaller church like this, um, you know, there's a small group of people who do a lot of work. And just as much as you love to come and worship, we have a lot of people come say, we just worshiping here we just love to worship in his presence and but you know that they also love to do that but they can't because they're working and serving and so we like to give them a break yeah for example the worship team and give them a break because they won't get one unless we stop they literally won't get one and you know that it brings no god it brings no glory to god to burn out for him who knows that Oh, yeah, the church needs to hear that. Really brings no glory to God to burn out for him. You know, dead on the mountain but holding the flag. 
I don't, I don't, I don't think that's the point, yeah? So, we were also trying to have a Christmas Eve service, but we're actually going to uh, cancel that as well, just to give people a total break. And so, you may have heard it on the announcements, you may see it on a slide, but we're just going to give people a total break. So, next week, we're going to have uh, a service. I'm going to speak into Christmas. I'm actually looking quite forward to that. And, uh, and then, we're going to have a once, one Sunday, we're not here, and the following week, just one week, and we'll come back January, I think it's 3rd. And so we'll be seeing you then. So please, I encourage you to take a break. I really do. Take some time. Enjoy your family. And remember why. And I could preach, but I'm not going to. Trying not to. So um, also, we have a discovery coming up next year, January 10th. And so the week after we come back, January 3rd, we'll be having discovery for all of those who have joined us. I encourage you to come. If you knew you want to have lunch with some of the leaders, ask questions. And uh, come and meet with us. Come and have lunch with us. We love to talk to you. We'll be sharing some of the core of who we are, you know. And uh, just it's good to know where a church is headed if you get on that bus. We've said it before. No one jumps on a bus without knowing where it's going. Yeah? If you want to get on a bus to New York, you don't just pick a bus and get on. This is a school bus, sir. Okay. No, you get on a bus that's going to New York. So... So that's going to be Jan 10th, Discovery. Please sign up and come along. And then lastly, the giving tree. I'm going to read this because I don't want to make a mistake. Gifts were due today for the giving tree. If those of you who know what the giving tree is, you'll know what I'm talking about. Uh, if you forget your gift, please drop it Tuesday between 9 a.m. and 3 p.m. at the office. The giving tree, there was these little ornamental things with, peop- uh, with kids' pictures hosted by Bill and Beth, One Hope Ministries, a whole bunch of children getting gifts that pretty much wouldn't get anything. And uh, that tree we had with all these kids on, and they were all taken. But now it's time to actually, you can't take the ornament and just look at the ornament. You actually have to buy something and bring it back because uh, you don't know where that child lives. And it's a bit strange if you arrive on their doorstep. So, uh, please bring the, the gifts back. If you didn't bring them today, they were due today, please bring them back Tuesday between 9 a.m. and 3 p.m. And, uh, and if you want to help pass out those gifts, there's a way for you to sign up. I think it's online, or you can call into the office and sign up, and you can actually go with and give the gifts to the children. It's an amazing thing to see. So, I encourage you to do that. Father. Father. He is my Father. Can I pray for you, sir? Lord, I thank you that together we are your sons, but on this earth he is my dad and has been a father to many churches, actually, and many people, but also many churches. We honor him because he honors you and he honors your word, and we thank you and we listen with open hearts and ears to hear what truly your servant has to say to us this morning. And for that, we are grateful in Jesus' name. Go for it, Dad. That's a good start. Yeah, it's a good start. Okay, uh, the light is green, so that means go. All right, bingo. <laughs> Thank you. Good morning, and good morning to those online. It's a wonderful, wonderful privilege always to be able to... Uh, Bring the word, and thanks for coming, thanks for joining us online, and uh, I trust you all well, and uh, I see my golf partner over there, or from time to time, it's wonderful Steve. 
It's always wonderful to play golf with that man because you see other stuff about him. No, I'm teasing Steve. <laughs> You've got to keep ducking when he misses the putt. No, I'm serious. No, I'm teasing. I'm teasing. I think he's got to do that for me. But anyway, it's wonderful. So it is very, very good to be here this morning. It's wonderful. And uh, about eight weeks ago, Clayton started, about eight weeks ago, I had this message in my heart. And then uh, Clayton's been talking on origin and acts, is that correct? And part of, parcel of it was talking on us being children of God, sons and daughters of God. And then Tommy last week spoke, and Tommy, I just want to compliment you. I thought it was outstanding. I really did. I would encourage many, many people to go listen to it again and again and again. There's some profound truth in that. And I can see it's something that God is doing in your heart. And I can see it's something that God is establishing both you and Carly in. And so I want to encourage you. And uh, just even as I look at you, I feel just to say to you that I feel God say, I have you. I will keep you. And you're going to be a priest unto me and for me. In terms of to, himself, to, God, to God and to his people. And, um, yeah, just to encourage you, I feel like he's digging deep wells in both of you. And it's wells from which you will learn to draw water in dry seasons and in seasons that are not dry. And there will be a continual flow of life coming from both of you, no matter what the season. No matter what the season, just because of some of the decisions you've made. And I feel also to say to you that... Yeah, I see the enemies really come against the two of you. And so, Father, in the name of Jesus, I just take authority and I break off that spirit of death and destruction in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Just bring refreshing and healing in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Thank you, Father. Amen. Bless you. And Josh, I just looked at you, sorry to highlight you. I just feel to speak refreshing over you and strength over you. I feel like the Father just wants to refresh and strengthen you. All right, so I want to continue on the same lines. As I said, I had this message on my heart about eight weeks ago. And so um, in Philippians 3.1, you'll see it come up on the back there. Paul says this, Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. It is no trouble for me to write the same things to you again. It is a safeguard for you. So what I'm going to touch on today, I think most people sitting in this auditorium or this building know or have some idea of, but I want to put something in your hands that you can take it with you today that will help you, but also to help you to help others. Amen. Amen. Because we, th- oh, thank you. That was a loud amen. Hallelujah. Wonderful. Okay. <laughs> And so Paul was never afraid to preach some stuff again and again because it's a safeguard. And in 2, Tim, in 2 Peter, and I didn't write the scripture out, so I have to turn to it. I know it'll come on. But 2 Peter, Peter says this. This is at the end of his life. So I will always remind you, verse 12, of these things. I will always remind you of the, even though you know them and are firmly established in the truth you now have. I think it is right to refresh your memory as long as I live in the tent of this body because I know that soon I'll put it aside as our Lord Jesus made clear to me and I'll make every effort to see that after my departure you'll always be able to remember these things. So take hold. 
And I'm going to trust that the Word preaches to us today, not so much me, but the Word. So we're going to go through a little bit of Scripture, and I, I don't want to apologize for that, because it's on that which we stand. Amen. Really, I'm trusting. When we understand something, he establishes us. Proverbs 3.19 said this, The Lord by wisdom founded the earth. By understanding, he established the heavens, or the heaven. Matthew 13, 18 and 19 says this, Listen then to what the parable of the sower means, Jesus speaking. When anybody hears the message about the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what was sown in his heart. So sometimes we can hear something, but we need understanding for it to be established in us, for us to be established in the truth. Then no matter what the season no matter how I feel, no matter what's happening around me, I'm firm and steadfast and secure because I'm established in the truth. Amen. And that's what I'm trusting to do today. So even the mornings that you wake up and you don't feel well or you just had a, didn't sleep that night or, or the dog was sick the whole night like it happened with us a couple of weeks ago or whatever the case is, you're still established in this truth. You're not going to go by your feelings. You're going to go by the truth that's established in your heart. Amen. So it's something of that that I want to do this morning. When we grasp and understand, there's an establishing that takes place. It brings a certainty. It brings an assurance in stressful times, and we are living in some of those at this point in time. So I want to talk on our glorious inheritance. Our glorious inheritance. When my children were younger, and uh, they used to ask me something, and I wanted to tell them something, I used to say, I guarantee, like, like it's going to rain. Kids, I guarantee it's going to rain. Then it didn't rain, so my guarantees didn't hold water anymore. So today when I tell Chantel, I guarantee, she says, Dad, your guarantees mean nothing. <laughs> <laughs> but there are certain guarantees, and I guarantee you, one day you will not be on this earth. That's a fact. Your journey on this earth will cease. That's a guarantee. There's a guarantee that Jesus is coming back. There's a guarantee that every knee will bow. Every knee. That's a guarantee. And every tongue will confess. And today I want to bring you the fourth guarantee. The Bible actually uses that word guarantee. Hallelujah. Amen. All right. Isaiah 9, 6, for unto us a child is born, but a son is given. I love that scripture. A child is born, but a son is given. And we celebrate that in a couple of weeks' time. John 3, 16, you know the scripture. For God so loved that he gave his only son. He gave a son. Nothing less than his son. Not something, but someone. A living person. Not just a simple blessing, but Jesus in whom is all life and blessings. He gave his son for us to be with us, to live through us. He gave his son. The father didn't give us a doctrine, although doctrine is good. He gave us a living person, his son, Jesus Christ. And life is in his son. He who has the son has life. Not he who has a doctrine has life. He who has the Son has life. Amen. But the Word tells us that not only did the Father give the Son, 
But Jesus willingly gave himself. The Father gave the Son, but the Son had to make a choice when he walked on this earth to give himself. He had his own will. That's why he said, not my will be done, but yours. And he willingly chose. He submitted to the will of his Father, and he willingly gave himself. And there are six times in the New Testament where it says Jesus gave himself. I'm going to touch on five. We don't have time. And focus a little bit on one. And then what happens as a result? So the first one, 1 Timothy, the scriptures are at the back. Chapter 2, 5 and 6. For there is one God, one mediator between God and man, the man, Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all men. Ransom means substitution. It's a payment required for the release of prisoners or slaves. And we are imprisoned or slaves of sin. Or we were, should I say. And to the law. So it's used to describe the payment necessary to purchase a slave and set him free. And the price was none other than Jesus himself. He gave himself as a ransom. Jesus gave himself as a ransom in place of those who owed the debt, the slaves of sin. That's an incredible truth. A debt that you and I cannot pay. Jesus said, it's okay. I'll pay it. I'll give myself as that ransom. Let that sink in you, the truth of that sink in you. You'll never again say, Lord, am I forgiven? The price was fully paid. Galatians chapter 1, verse 3 and 4. And I don't have the scripture, the whole scripture on me. I just uh, I have to turn to it. I know it'll come up there, but I don't want to misquote it. So uh, Galatians 3, 1 and 4. Galatians 1, 3 and 4. Grace and peace to you from our God, our Father, and the Lord Jesus, who gave himself for our sins to rescue us from the present evil age according to to the will of God our Father. Think about that. That was the will of the Father in heaven. And so Jesus submitted to that will and gave himself for our sins to rescue us from this present evil age. Rescue us according to the will of the Father. And that word sins is failing to meet a standard, failing to measure up, failing to fulfill an obligation or a violation of the moral will of God. So he gave himself because we couldn't measure up. How many knows you can't measure up without Jesus Christ? It's impossible. And the Lord said, oh, that's okay. I can measure up. And I will give myself in your place for your sins. Amen. I agree. It's wonderful news. That's why it's such good news. Ephesians 5.2, the next one. It says, Ephesians 5.2, and I've also only got a little bit, so I have to turn to it. I didn't write the scriptures out. I'm not like Clayton, who's so organized and whatever the case is. So. <laughs> 5.2, I'll go to verse 1. Be imitators of God, therefore, as dearly loved children, and live a life of love, just as Christ loved us and 
gave himself up as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. So Jesus became the offering. He fulfilled the Old Testament offerings. He became a fragrant offering. It's a fragrant offering. It's a sweet-smelling aroma that went up to the Father. And he fulfilled every Old Testament sacrifice that ever had to be made. And the Bible says that when Noah offered up a sacrifice unto the Lord after the flood, it was a sweet aroma. And the Lord smelt this aroma and said, I will never again do this. That's what it was. And so even in the New Testament, we are called priests. I don't have time to get into it. And so there are five New Testament offerings that we can bring sacrifices unto the Lord that becomes a sweet-smelling aroma to Him. Not to earn anything, because we are sons and daughters, but it keeps positioning us to walk into all, because it becomes a fragrant offering to Him. And so people often ask me, what do I do as a New Testament? You're a New Testament priest. Hello? Turn to someone next to you and say, you're a priest. You are. You're a priest. That's what the Bible says. And so there's five offerings that we can offer up to God that become a sweet-smelling fragrance unto Him. And as I said, I don't have time to go in. And the first one is not in this order. Romans 12, offer up your bodies as a sacrifice, an aroma. So every time we're obedient and our bodies have to get involved, it becomes an offering up to the Lord. Think of worship, raising hands, clapping, kneeling. In Romans 15, the Bible says the gospel, when we preach the gospel to the Gentiles, it becomes an offering unto the Lord. Think about that. The Bible says in Philippians 4 that when we take money and sow it into ventures for the nations of the earth, it becomes an offering unto the Lord. A sweet aroma. Just money. Go read it, Philippians 4. Hebrews 13 talks about the fruit of our lips, praise. It's an aroma unto the Lord. And Revelations 8 talks about prayer becomes an incense before the Lord. Those are our New Testament sacrifices. Isn't that amazing? Next one, Ephesians, next one, Ephesians 5.25. The Bible says this, 5.25. And I know Clayton's got some insight on this thing. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with the water through the word. So he gave himself up that he might sanctify or make her holy and cleanse her. So what does that mean? To make her holy or or sanctify means to be set apart from ordinary use. So he came to Carly over here, and the day Carly submitted to the Lordship of Christ and said, Jesus, I love you, the Lord sanctified her, set her apart, and said, from now on, Carly, you'll be used for divine purposes, not just for common use. He set you apart. We struggle to believe that, but that's what the Word says. Hello? Yes, he, set you, he gave himself to set you apart, to make you holy, and then cleansing you. That word cleansing means cleanse from forth, 
It's used in the Old Testament for the cleaning of a leper. And in the New Testament, it means to purify from pollution and guilt. He cleansed you from all pollution that sin contaminated and did inside you. And he cleansed you from that. He gave himself up for that. It's good news. Yeah. Galatians 5.20, the next one. Galatians 5.20. Sorry, 2.20. Thank you. Thank you. 2.20 says, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in their body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So love motivated him to give himself for you and I. But the greatest love that motivated him was his love for his father. Because he loved his father so much, he willingly gave himself to us because he loved us. For the joy set before him, Hebrews tells us, he endured the cross. For the joy set before him. Isn't that amazing, eh? Love motivates, love motivates. And then the last one I want to focus on is go to Titus chapter 2. Titus chapter 2. Titus chapter 2, and it says this, verse 11. I've been meditating this scripture for a couple of weeks now. It's just it's grabbed my attention for some reason. For the grace of God, verse 11, that brings salvation has appeared to all men teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live a self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age while we wait for the blessed hope, the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify himself a people that are his very own, eager to do what is good. So the very grace of God that saved you is the same grace of God that empowers you. And it teaches us. Grace teaches us, not law. Grace teaches us. It's amazing scripture, that. It's amazing scripture, that. And so if I read verse 11 and 13 14, it says, Jesus Christ who gave himself up to us, to redeem us from all wickedness and purify himself a people that is very own, eager to do what is good. To redeem us from what? What did he redeem us from? The Bible says from all wickedness and sin. And one of the best but saddest pictures in the Bible of what sin produces or the impact of ongoing sin does in our lives is seen through the life of Samson. Samson was one of the last judges, one of the last leaders in Israel before the king came along, King Saul. And the Bible says there was no king yet in Israel, and so everybody did what he thought was right in his own eyes. And that was the time that Samson came along. Samson was made for fellowship. Go read the scripture in Judges with God. He was made to be a servant of God. He was made to be a leader of God. God gave him all that he needed to do that. But Samson had a free will to choose. And he made a choice to mix with the Philistines, which he knew he shouldn't have, and one of them became his wife. And the result of that choice is recorded in Judges 16.21. Then the Philistines seized him, gouged out his eyes, and took him down to Gaza, binding him with bronze shackles, 
they set him to grinding grain in the prison. What a sad picture, but we know it ends well. Hallelujah. It always does. God always redeems. So from this we can see what sin does. It says they bound him by putting shackles around him. We see that sin is binding. Sin binds us through our attitudes, our appetites, our ongoing practices, and it brings us into bondage, just like it did with Samson. The Bible says they gouged out his eyes. So sin is blinding. We cannot see. The Bible says the God of this world has blinded the eyes of unbelievers. And then Samson was grinding seed for oil. By application, we see that sin grinds us down. Samson became a prisoner because of his choices and decisions. He was grinding, blindedly, and bound. That's what sin does in our lives. It grinds us, we blindedly, and we bound. But we know the good news of what happened to Samson. And Ephesians 2 tells us, at one time we were slaves to sin and dead in our trespasses, just like Samson was. But God sent his son to redeem us from every lawless deed and purify him for us. That's the title of scripture. So what does it mean to be redeemed? The word redeemed is translated into, from four different Greek words in a sense. And it tells us a lot about this great redemption. The first one, and I'm sorry the notes are not there, is, I don't know how to pronounce this word. You Greek people can help me. Agrozo, A-G-O-R-A-Z-O. And it means to buy in the marketplace as though buying a slave. In other words, what would it cost to redeem this person from that owner? That's what it means. And Jesus said, I gave myself up to redeem you because you were literally owned by the evil one. I'm now going to take you. I'm going to give my life for you, and I'm going to redeem you and pull you out of his clutches and put you in my kingdom. That's one part of the word redeemed. Thank you. Keep going. Hallelujah. (laughs) So it's one would be substitute yourself in the place, but only of equal value. That's the first part of this, four parts. The second part is egg agrosso. However you spell it. This means to buy out of the marketplace. When it's a marketplace, it means the life. It means just the, the life affairs, in the affairs of life. To buy out of the affairs of life, not just in the affairs of life, to bring out and to bring out of the marketplace to freedom. Therefore, the person was no longer meant to remain there. God never intended for us to retain our old habits and our old traits and our old appetites. Never. He redeemed us from that. That's what he did. And the third word, meaning redeem, is litro. Still, I don't know how to spell it. Sorry, I mean, this means to loose. Jesus gave himself for us to loose us from all iniquity and bondage and to loose us from all the habits that had marked a life of slavery. To loose and to set free. It's interesting what happened in the worship this morning. The shackles. So he's saying, I'm going to redeem you. I'm going to give myself for you. I'm going to take you from that person. And I'm not only going to pull you out of their hands, but I'm going to pull you out of the worldly affairs that have impinged on you. And now I'm going to loose you from all those things. That's what redeem means. 
And lastly, it means apolutro. This means to be permanently set free so that those God sets free can never, ever go back to bondage again. Never, unless they choose to. So that is what redeem means, to permanently set free. All the powers of hell cannot force the redeemed one back into bondage. The only way they can go back is by their own choice. Nothing can take them back. Nothing. Nothing outside of themselves. Think about the power of that. That's why Paul said in Romans, and all these things I am more, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us, for I'm convinced neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor the depth or anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. That's why he wrote that. Nothing. Nothing. That's what the word redeem means. Think about it. But we know the devil's a master liar. And he sows his thoughts in our mind and then we begin to believe them and then we behave like that. And the Lord says, what are you doing, Ken? I redeemed you. I gave myself to redeem you. I redeemed you. I redeemed you. I redeemed you. I gave myself. I didn't give a teaching. I gave myself to redeem you. When we truly receive the Son who was given by the Father and who gave himself, we receive every provision and every benefit that comes out of him giving up himself. We get love. We are loved, cleansing, setting apart, the making of holiness, the rescue from sin, the rescue from the present evil age, the radiance that comes from the fragrant offering and sacrifice, the freedom because the ransom was paid, the forgiveness and purification resulting from redemption. That's what we get. I just took those six things and just made some of my own words on them, but that's what we get. And when this divine transaction happens inside of you as a result of just believing. Just believing. Not doing anything. Just, I believe you. When that divine transaction takes place, when we receive Jesus who gave himself, an incredible thing happens inside of us. That's why it's a glorious inheritance. An incredible thing trans- happens inside. Something, we don't understand it. I didn't understand it at first. I just knew something had happened, but I didn't understand it. And as I got to understand it, it helped me stand secure, even when I messed up. Hello? Even when I messed up, it helped me stand secure and firm and steadfast. This incredible divine transaction takes place inside our hearts. One of the first things that happens is Romans 8, 16 and 17 says, The Holy Spirit witnesses with your spirit that you're a child of God. And it cries out, Abba, Father! See, nobody should tell you that you're a Christian. 
you should know it. You don't have to anybody else tell you that. Because the Holy Spirit will witness with your spirit. Yes, ever Father. Because the Son gave himself. The other thing that happens is John 1, 12, 13. To all those who believed him and received him, he gave the right, the authority, to become children of God, born not of natural descent, nor of a human decision, but born of God. And all of a sudden you have understand, I have authority to say I'm a child of God. Unashamedly. Because I've been redeemed. The next thing that happens, all the same things that happen at once, it's hard for my mind to conceive it because it all happens like just it's like that. It's Ephesians 1, and this is the guarantee. I don't know if it's gone up yet. I want to read it. Ephesians 1.13 says this, And you were also included in Christ when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having believed you were marked in him with a seal, a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance. Guaranteeing our inheritance. You were sealed by the Holy Spirit. Sealed. Guaranteeing your inheritance until the redemption of those who God's possessions. That's why it's so foundational to know that you're born again. You've got to know like you know, 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 like you know. And it's not dependent on your feelings. The other thing, let's read some more scriptures. Let's go to 2 Corinthians. Chapter 1. says this. For no matter how many promises, verse 20, are made, there are yes in Christ. And so through him the amen is spoken by us to the glory of God. Now it is God who makes both us and you stand firm in Christ. He anointed us, set his seal of ownership on us, put his spirit in our hearts as a deposit, guaranteeing what is to come. Isn't that amazing? Because Jesus gave himself up. What security that brings to you. I know it does to me. What an incredible safeguard, as Paul says. What confidence. What knowing. What assurance. What joy and delight. What hope and expectation. What amazingly delight. We have an inheritance, yeah? And one that's coming. We have it. We are sons and daughters assured of an incredible future and an inheritance. And we have the privilege of reflecting his beauty, his majesty, his love, and his power displaying his splendor on this earth, knowing that we have an inheritance assured for us. Assured, guaranteed. I remember many years ago, I had a, back in South Africa, we had a long discussion about once you're saved or you're always saved. And I never believed that. Because when I went into the church, I saw what I saw. And it's not a criticism, it's just what I saw. And then when I came to understand this truth, and I said, many people that are sitting in churches are not born again. 
They love the Lord, but they're not born again. Because when you're born again, it says you're sealed. How can something unseal what God has sealed? You can't do it. Your husband can't do it. Your wife can't do it. <laughs> Nobody can do it because it's the sealed. The seal comes from heaven, not from earth. What an incredible assurance it gives us that we're children of God. That's our glorious inheritance. And I know you know this, but I want to put these tools in your hands. Go read these scriptures. Go read every time it says Jesus gave himself up. Go read what happens inside you, the divine transaction. Go read that. And so when you go through a tough time, when you go through tough days, when you're not sure, get back into those scriptures and say, no, no, Lord, you redeemed me. You sanctified me. You cleansed me. You gave yourself up for my sin. You gave yourself up to set me apart. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. It's good news. It is great news. <laughs>